WPSL Port St. Lucie. It is time for We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie. Here are your hosts this morning, Mike Schmidt and Gary Jones. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning and welcome to We Are Just Christians. Really happy that you tuned in today to the show and for the next hour or so, we'll be live here and we'll be taking your calls, comments, and questions. And I'll give you the numbers for how to reach the show in just a moment. My name is Mike Schmidt. I'm the preacher and one of the elders for the Church of Christ on Sedona Boulevard. And as usual, my partner is Gary Jones. How you doing, Gary? I'm here this morning, Mike. We're doing glad. a lot better than before. Yeah, we're glad we can be with you. And hope that, as I said, you can stay with us for a few moments for the show. We like your input, and this is a show about being just Christians and getting past some of the traditions and and ideas of men, and that includes both religious and secular ideas, and go back to what the Bible says we ought to be living like and how we ought to act and what we ought to be according to what the Scriptures say. So that's the premise of the show. We believe it can be done to go back to what Jesus gave us in the first century. And it can be done, and we ought to be doing that. That's the call that we have for us. And so this show is about kind of explaining that here in Port St. Lucie to whoever uh, is willing to listen and join in. So we'll tell you more about that as we go along. But let me give you the numbers. You can reach this show. We are just Christians at 772-340-1590, 772-340-1590. And uh, that's how you reach us live. We'll put you at the front of the line. We promise when we, you call, we're not going to embarrass you or argue with you or anything like that. We may disagree, and we'll say so. We'll give you, hopefully give you some scriptures or some reasoning why that might be, both for and against whatever is being discussed. And you possibly can change our mind about something. We learn things all the time from those who call in. 772-340-1590. We also promise we'll give you the last word so you don't feel put upon or just use when you call the show. So that's, those are just real easy ground rules for getting a hold of us here. Here, We'd like to have a conversation with you, if possible, if you can stick on the line. It's, you, we like that. If you can't, you got to go, then that's okay, too. But we'd like to have a conversation with you on We Are Just Christians. Now, there's a couple of other ways you can reach us. People also text us. Two text numbers. One is mine. That's Mike's, 772 Six one two zero seven seven two two six zero six one two zero is my number. Gary's number is seven seven two two six zero six two two zero. I mentioned Gary. Gary's the other elder here at the church, and uh, he is uh, on the show with us every week. Gary is a retired engineer, mechanical engineer. Yeah, mechanical in, engineer. Worked in the I worked in aerospace the aerospace industry, industry for. Yeah, 40 years. Right. And about and a great Bible student. So uh, we're we're the elders of the church here. So we want to we present this show as a way to introduce people to this idea of being just a Christian. And that's what it's about. That's why we call it that. That in fact, that's the name of the website for the church here. We are just Christians dot com. We are just Christians dot com. And I'd encourage you to go to that website. Take a look. You'll find recordings not only of these shows going back a long time that you can get as a podcast or listen there on the Internet, or and you'll find recordings of the sermons here at the church that we preach on various subjects for years, for quite a few years. You can go back and listen to those. You can get those as a podcast, too. Uh, some people actually use them, Gary, at late at night so they can 
put themselves to sleep, I've heard. <laughs> so that's what they're good for, kind of as a little bit of Salmonex in the evening. But you can listen to all those things at wearejustchristians.com. You can also email us, which is justchristians at att.net, justchristians at att.net. We get emails from time to time. We'll use those on the show as appropriate, and we appreciate your call, your comments and questions. And, and we get some text messages. Maybe a little bit later, Gary, we can – I've got a couple text messages kind of left over from last week that we never we didn't get to. When I'm here by myself, sometimes I can manage to do that. Sometimes I can't. <laughs> and I didn't hear these come in. Uh, my phone's funny. It's sometimes if I get a text message and then one right after it, I don't always hear the second one. I, I think it's made so it doesn't really – ring as loud or notify me as loud the second text in a row are you sure or maybe that's what's between the and ears my hearing it could be my hearing is bad too. well no i know my hearing is bad so it could be that and um it's like when i'm preaching i guess a couple weeks ago there, there was a baby or some child making noise and people ask me about it i'm like huh when i'm speaking the only reason i really notice a child making noise is if I see the adults looking that way at the child, my <laughs> mind is focused on what I'm doing. I'm looking at the audience, but I'm not really paying attention in some way, you could say, because I have too many other things in my brain. And so sometimes I think that's what goes on here. If I touch them by myself, I'm not nearly hearing this phone go off. And then sometimes it's because I have it on silent overnight, so it don't wake me up. And then I forget to put it back on the ring or Sunday here, I'll turn it off in a little while so it doesn't ring while I'm preaching, which happens. And then I, somebody will try to call me tomorrow on Monday, and I won't hear it because I got it on silent. You know, it's just there's no answer to all this. Oh well, I guess there is. I just don't know what the. I guess you can automate all those things. The funniest one, Gary, was when someone who should have been at church called me to tell me something, and they called while I was up teaching a class. And okay. I think I answered at that that time and said, uh, "Do you, you know you realize you should be in church and I'm up preaching right now in front of everybody. I'm answering the phone." So this didn't go over too well, but <laughs> well, all I remember anyway. was when your ringtone was a rooster crowing during the Lord's Supper. So <laughs> Oh yes, that that is uh, that is definitely I, I had a ringtone that was a rooster crowing and I had it under the seat and it starts somebody called me and it was a lady from church calling me at that time. And uh, I couldn't find the phone, couldn't get it turned off. And so I tried to turn it around that Sunday and say, well, here I was. People were laughing. Upset. I said, look, here I was trying to remind you all of Peter's denial at the, <laughs> at the last at the trial of Jesus and all that, trying to get you spiritually stirred up. And all you can do is laugh. So I tried to turn it around. Didn't work very well. But uh, anyway, where, where are we? <laughs> this show, 772-340-1590, 772-340-1590 is the number to reach us here at We Are Just Christians, or 772-260-6120 is the text number. We'd be glad to hear from you. Well, now, Gary, it's just funny because I think it came up in a text last week about these, uh, I, I would say, the end of time which is sometimes called eschatology. The eschatos is the Greek word for last or end. And so the study of the last times is eschatology. And I keep hearing repeatedly in the last year and a half how that everybody thinks we're living in the end of time. 
It could be, but I don't think the Bible says that per se. Well, the Bible, about that last the week. Bible doesn't tell us specifically when the end of time is going to come. There are a couple of passages that might hint to general conditions, but then sometimes those conditions appear at different times. And so you can't tell. They appeared repeatedly through yeah, history. through history. So the real message in the Bible is you, you need to be prepared for the coming because you don't know when it's going to be. Right. Well, this text, that's exactly right. Watch, therefore, if you know not the day or the hour when the Lord will come. Right. That's what that's Matthew 25 and some other places. Well, this text, and there's two or three elements to this text from Jason that um, he wants to know how the book of Revelation fits in with the other books of the Bible. But he says, I'm in Isaiah right now, which. You mentioned me a moment ago, a couple of verses from Isaiah uh, right now, and noticing a lot of parallels between the Left Behind series and Isaiah's prophecy, and someone's telling him that some people are saying that the second coming is going to be soon. And um, so, in other words, uh, he wants to know about this, uh, what, what, what is the truth about it. Now, this is a very currently popular Protestant Christian teaching, and I think it's impacted even Catholics and other um, some mainline uh, denominations more so even in the lower Protestants. But in our time, since the late 60s, early 70s, when these Left Behind books were written, and as well, more particularly, the one that kicked it off in our generation is the um, late, late Great, great Planet, Planet Earth. Earth by Hal Lindsey. But premillennialism, as it's called, or dispensational premillennialism, as I've mentioned before, is a fairly new Christian teaching. did not exist before the 1840s to 1870s at all. didn't exist in its present form until this last generation. Yeah, it's So been... for those of you who think we're odd because we don't buy into it, no, we're, we're the ones who have a, the history on our side. It's a new teaching. Some some of the tenets of of premillennialism, some of the things, actually, as I was researching it, go 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 back further than that. But as we know it today, the it, dispensational it, it, premillennialism, that, that Christ is yeah. coming back and reestablishing the temple in Jerusalem, and that the modern nation of Israel is uh, is the Israel of the Bible, and there, there's going to be a right. literal tribulation on earth of seven years and then a rapture. All of that stuff put together is a new teaching. Well, I, I kind of put together seven things. It's sort of the general idea of it, and even leaves out a few. But basically, it, it says the kingdom offered by Jesus was a physical one, and on this earth kingdom that he was going to rule in Jerusalem on the literal throne of David. Uh, and two, the Jews rejected this kingdom when he came to offer it. Uh, because the Jews rejected it, number three, God therefore withdrew the offer of the kingdom and substituted the church for that. Right. And four, that Jesus must at some time then return to the earth a second time to recreate this historical context of this physical kingdom so it can be established. And that he's going to reign for the number five is he's going to reign for about a, for a thousand years. And then Satan is going to be released uh, to deceive these nations after this thousand years. And there's going to be a big battle and Satan's going to be destroyed, and then the then we're going to have the final judgment, and the world ends. Now, right. I, I left out the tribulation period, which could go before the thousand years, or after the thousand years, or in the middle of the thousand years, depending on who you're reading. Right. There's all so it, it's not like these prophecies are so definite that everybody agrees because they don't agree. 
Right. And historically, as I said, this has not been the position of the, the great Bible commentators and others of the past. Now, one of the big problems that I have with this, and let me first say that the study of eschatology in the Bible or the end times is a very complex study and, and requires a lot of detail, both in, in interpretation of the scripture and in knowledge of history. Uh, knowledge of history basically from the time of Israel, maybe 1000 BC up through the time of Christ, uh, for a hundred years or so. So right. if you don't have a fairly accurate knowledge of actual historical events from a thousand BC up through about 100 AD, or maybe then you can, you can get lost in the history. Well, it's like this antichrist thing in my yeah. lifetime. I've, these people have been saying different things or people are the antichrist five or six different ones. And, and it'll be somebody different next year. And they forget that they used to say it was Stalin or, or Bismarck, or the German emperor, or Napoleon. They forget all of that. It's, we have such short memories. Gary, let me say one thing before you go on. Okay. I say to interrupt you, but I, th- I what's something you said made me think of this. Look, for those who are listening, just because Gary and I say we don't agree with dispensational premillennialism in a general way does not, believe, does not mean that we do not believe in the second coming of Christ. We absolutely believe the scriptures teach that there's a second, that Christ is coming again, and he is going to then judge the world at his second coming and judge every individual all stand before him in judgment at the second coming. We firmly believe that, but that's not the same as saying that we believe that he's coming and establishing a kingdom on the earth again. We're in his kingdom now. So don't confuse the fact that we don't believe in premillennialism with, we don't believe in the second coming. It's like saying, well, you don't celebrate Easter. So therefore you don't believe in the resurrection. That's false too. Well, I'll compare it to this. There's a difference between uh, being anti-vaccine and not believing in mandatory vaccines. People get those two things really easily confused. Oh, well, I don't believe in mandatory vaccines. Oh, you don't believe in vaccines. You're anti-science. No, I believe in vaccines. Uh, It's a different issue. And it's very difficult for people to understand understand the distinction and it's being presented as if you are opposed to mandatory vaccine then you're therefore against vaccines you're anti-science that is completely false and i reject that and so the same thing is true about easter and the resurrection about premillennialism and and uh, the judgment day or the second coming people get those issues confused and i don't know whether it's intentional or not doesn't matter but let's make sure we understand that gary and i both believe that the scriptures teach plainly that Jesus is coming again to judge the world, and we need to watch and pray and be ready for that. But that we believe that could come at any time, and the signs won't be what we think they are. If there are even any signs of the second coming, that would be distinct from any other time of history. That's that's my view anyway. But Gary, you've got a lot more to say about this. Well, and on, maybe you'll hit on some of the couple of the topics that our texture. Um, well, what mentioned. I'm what I what I'm interested in is. Basically, the thing that troubles me about this is the assumption that's made in basically item two that I listed. The Jews rejected the kingdom that was offered by Jesus when he came. Therefore, item three, God withdrew that kingdom offer and substituted something else, namely the church, for that. I have a problem with that. That's called, sometimes people call it replacement theology. It's also called um, the parenthesis model. 
the church is a parenthesis in time because God really intended to establish the kingdom when Christ came. Couldn't do it because the Jews thwarted it. So he established the church as a parenthesis. He's going to come back later and, and end the parenthesis and start establishing the kingdom. Which means that God miscalculated everything that he put now, in the prophets. Ma- yes, that's a major premise of, of dispensational of, of premillennialism. premillennialism. And it's been, once you state it that way, people get, you know, well, I don't know. Well, that's exactly well, I don't saying. know. Yeah. And they used to say directly that that's what happened. It was called the parenthesis theory when I was a younger man. I'm not sure what they call it today exactly, but well, it's the same thing. You know, 40 years ago, that's what they were te- trying. To, that's what a guy was trying to teach me. He said, sure. basically, this God miscalculated. Basically, the Jews rejected Jesus, and therefore he was forced to substitute something else to kind of keep the prophets uh, uh online so to speak basically yeah, he, sort of true as it was sort of true basically what it means is god threw the prophets under the bus right. when he didn't when he did that if if and I, that's a big if if that original kingdom offer was supposed to be a physical one which i don't and that's think the was, question and that's, that's the, the question. big question here that is the, the kingdom of jesus christ spiritual or is it physical but, that's the big question okay basically what i'm saying is what kind of kingdom did Jesus deliver when he prayed to God in the, in the garden and said, I have done, basically he prayed to God and said, I have, I have completed all the work that you have given me to do. Jesus actually said that. Uh, sorry, Mike, I don't have the rest for, reference for that right for, in front of me. For which one now? I'm sorry, I was reading it. Uh, basically he said, I have, he prayed to the Lord. And he says, I have completed all the work that you have given me to do. Yeah. And I don't, I'll have to look that up, but that's, that's a paraphrase of what he said. I, yeah. I, well, uh, that's pretty close, finished, pretty close to the wording in the yes, text uh-huh. in the New King James. Right. But that's what he said. Now, basically what I've come into here is is I want to take a look at is th- there are some passages that God made statements of. And one of those passages is Isaiah 55 and 11. And I want you to carefully consider, in the light of what we just said about the kingdom, what God said through Isaiah in 55.11. He says, So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I send it. And what does that mean to you, Mike? That means God said, whatever my word I intend for it to do, it's going to do it. It's not going to be thwarted by anyone. Job says in Job 42 in verses 1 and 2, it says, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. Now, Job had just witnessed God, had questioned him. He was looking God in the face when he said that. Um. I am I am concerned. The God that I feel of the Bible is not thwarted by a Jewish government 2,000 years ago. Well, uh, he says in Psalm 2 uh, that, the, that the people rage and the nations imagine a vain thing and so forth. But he says, behold, I have set my king on my holy hill. I hold them in derision. I'm paraphrasing Psalm 2. You look at it, and it's used in the New Testament exactly this way about the coming of the kingdom by the apostles, the book of Acts, chapter 4, that they, they, the Jews thought they were going to thwart, and the people thought they were going to thwart the purpose of God, but they did not 
Behold, I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. That's what, the, that's what God said about it in prophecy and in fact. So there was no thwarting of the kingdom. Now, now um, this passage you mentioned is in, in John 17, verse 4. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you gave me to do. Okay. Yeah, that. I finished the work you gave me to do. So uh, hold your thought, Gary, because we have a we have a call. Okay. And I got a couple texts too written to the subject. Uh, are you there, Jerry? Uh, thank you, Mike. This is a, a, a good morning, Gary. Uh, I was wondering about uh, Mary Magdalene and uh, the food have something to do with uh, uh, getting the tomb for uh, or Jesus after was crucified and. And uh, was there her liaison for her dalliance as well? Which older men that uh, was, you know, able, or, in other words, could she have something to do with a woman from her, uh, you know, his tomb? And I'd like to listen off that. That'd be okay, Mike. Okay, I hope I understand your question. That'd be fine. Thank you for calling in, Jerry. Now, I don't know if you're referring, Jerry, to the general idea that people think that. Uh, Jesus and Mary Magdalene had some kind of a romance going on, if I understood that you had, they had a, a dalliance, as it were. Uh, is, that, is that what I understood you to say? Um, that, I don't think that's, uh, yes, I think that's what Jerry said. I, I don't think that's what the Bible teaches at all about Mary Magdalene. By the way, the, the word uh, Magdalene is just, where she's from. There's a city near Capernaum on the Sea of Galilee called Magdala, or various forms of that word. Maybe Magdala. Magdala, and and, and uh, the, so a person from that city was a Magdalene, like Jesus of Nazareth, that they would just say Magdalene. So that's where she was from. And I don't know why, but my search engine isn't put pulling this up here but in any way in any event the scriptures say uh if you look in luke chapter 8 it's it says a that um it's that, interesting. That's interesting how it ties in luke 8 1 now it came to pass afterward that he went through every city and village preaching and bringing glad tidings of the kingdom of god when jesus was preaching guess what he was preaching about the kingdom of God. Now, <laughs> is he trying to tell now? If you all just wait two thousand years, just after Trump is uh, defeated in the election, we'll set up this kingdom, and you'll see it's coming in two thousand some years. Just wait. Is that what he was preaching? <laughs> he said the kingdom of God is at hand. Him and Joe, both. Joe. Anyway, then he goes. It goes on to say, uh, uh, and twelve were with him. The twelve were with him, and certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene out of which whom he had cast seven demons, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod, Stuart, and Susanna, and many others provided for him with their substance. So this Mary uh, had had seven demons, as it were, cast out of her. Some equate Mary Magdalene with the woman who was, uh, what they call her, the sinful woman. It doesn't say that that's Mary Magdalene. That's a supposition. The one that anointed him with oil. Yes, that that was Mary Magdalene. doesn't say that that's who that was, or... Five or six Marys, if not more, in the New Testament it was a common name. I mean, Jesus' mother was named Mary. We don't want to confuse her with these others. So 
Ma- well, there are several Marys here, and this Mary Magdalene came from that city, which was not considered a real high-class city. It's a small village on the Sea of Galilee, kind of a rough place even now, I think, and that's the way it was back then. Well, even in one passage, I think it's Matthew twenty-seven sixty-one, it references, and Mary Magdalene was there, and the other Mary, and we don't even know exactly who that other Mary right. was. Right. Uh, Probably could have been Mary, the mother of Jesus. She's mentioned several times. But uh, all of these, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and, uh, you know, there, there are a bunch of them. Well, I, I don't, now, now the other, um, the other reference that, that what Jerry was getting at is that um, at, um, at the crucifixion in Matthew 27, uh, this Mary was there. Many women, it says in Matthew 27, 55, followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him. And they were there looking on from afar, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the other and the mother of Zebedee's son. So mentions two Marys right there in, in um, Matthew 27, 56. Now, then right after that, you see that. Um, hang on a minute here. I'm trying to. That, that there were that well there was and, and, there was Mary Mark the, 15 go ahead yeah there was Sorry. Mary the sister of Martha too at at uh, when yes, Lazarus was raised right. it's full of, like you said it's full of Mary so you've got you've got to you can't just assume for one I don't know that that's what's being asked you can't assume that all these Marys were the same but then it after the after um, his crucifixion when they took him down off the cross. This is recorded in Mark 15, the very last verse, that they went, once they sealed the tomb up, it says, and Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, observed where he was laid. Now, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, the mother of James, and Salome brought spices that they might come and anoint him. So it's three of them, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome brought spices. And that's when he has this encounter with Mary near his tomb in the garden. We, we sing a song, many Protestants sing the song, In the Garden, or I Come to the Garden Alone, which is kind of a poetic recounting of Jesus and Mary in this individual encounter. And he walks to me and he talks to me and he tells me I'm his own. And the love we share as we tarry there, no, none other is ever known. Some people object to the song, but that's a song that's been popular for a, couple, a generation or two. And that's about this event. Now, he reveals himself first to Mary Magdalene. Now, people have over the last 20 years or maybe more, or maybe longer than that, but it's been popularized in 20, 25 years in movies and, and stories like Dan Brown's, uh, what's that book, um, the one that he wrote that the movie, made the movie about. They got Mary Magdalene as a prostitute, and he she has this affair with Jesus, and uh, there's been some stories out that he, that he, she and Jesus were married, or at least they were living together sexually, and all that kind of stuff. And they had a child, and so Jesus has descendants still on the earth because they had children, Mary Magdalene and Jesus. I'm, I'm t- I don't know how else to say this to you folks. I can't refute this with some kind of Bible evidence that says no, that didn't happen. Except that just not none any of that is in the Bible. There's, okay. there's, there's, there's no there's foundation. There. There's, there's no, no foundation. There's no foundation or basis for that 
either in kind historical like field dossier. But anyway, go ahead. either in historical text or in the Bible. There's just no foundation for it. It's it's something somebody made up out of whole cloth. Now, like you said, there's nothing that refutes that because it's just not it's a just, truth. I, yeah, I can't refute it with a specific verse because I can tell you what the Bible says. It just says that she and other women mentions her with these other women, except for this one case where he reveals himself to her alone. And because of, because of her faith in him and her love for him, it's just like the story that David and Jonathan were homosexual lovers because it says that Jonathan loved David as his own soul. Oh, now they must be homosexual. Or that Jesus and John were homosexuals. People make this stuff up completely, and then it gets right into the common culture that this must be what's going on. But, but I, I'm going to say I don't know of any reason at all to think that Jesus and Mary Magdalene had some kind of a sexual relationship. Number one, it doesn't say anything about her in that, in that way. The other Mary that was a sinful woman could, could possibly be Mary Magdalene, except, of, except for the fact, Gary, that when it's referring to Mary Magdalene you in mean, all these other cases, it tells you. It tells you that. It tells you because she's, she's not just a Mary, she's Mary Magdalene, and so she was distinguished by that moniker, as it were, in the Bible. So to say that she was the sinful woman who washed Jesus' feet with her hair, well, that's a stretch. I know people take that, taking that position. They can't possibly prove it from the Bible in any way, shape, or form. So I'm just going to say I, I, that's simply a stretch. It's, it's not actually true. We do know some things about Mary Magdalene. We know that she had seven demons, and, and I don't know what these, what those were about, but Jesus cast them out. And so she began to follow him, and she was the first person that saw Jesus after she was he was raised from the dead, which kind of blows this theory that Christianity is patriarchal and hates women. But anyway, that's another whole story. Um, <laughs> oh, by the way, there was another Mary that I hadn't noticed. Uh, there's a Mary in Rome, and uh, basically, mm -hmm. uh, greet my beloved, uh, I forget the, how to pronounce it, who is first in Archaea and Christ, and greet Mary who labored for us. Maybe, I think there's like much seven, more. if my memory is correct. I had to look them up. I think there's like seven they're referred to. Of course, Mary is a derivative of the word Miriam, Moses' sister in the Old Testament. It's a very, it's just like Jesus and, um, well, now I'm having a, a brain freeze. Joshua and Jesus, the two names are essentially the same from Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic. They're the same name, just a variation of it. So when you read about Joshua in the Old Testament, you're reading a kind of a person that was a type of Jesus, among many others. But but anyway, I don't know if that answers Jerry's question. I, I don't think you should put too much stock in the popular recountings by Dan Brown and other people about Mary Magdalene. What I would urge you to do, once again, go and, and um, you know, you can do this online. It's difficult to do it with books. I used to have to do it with books until the last 10 or 15 years pile up books on my desk and search for all the references to Mary Magdalene and all that in the Bible. You can do it relatively easy online with uh, eSword, it's called E-S-W-O-R-D, e or other Bible programs. You don't even have to ha own a Bible program. You go online and do this and search for Mary Magdalene in there. And, and uh, don't just read the commentaries about it now. Read what the scriptures say about Mary Magdalene and these other Marys. And then you'll know what the Bible says about that subject. Now then, base your fundamental belief on that. 
And then if you decide, well, maybe she was the same as that simple, that's fine. You, you can decide that, but here's what I want you to do. This is one of the premises of this show. Be sure that you keep separate what the Bible text says about a subject, or in this case, a person, from your own deductions about that subject, okay, or your own suppositions, or what other people say about it, or what tradition says about it. Be sure you keep separate those things. Uh, some things you're, the Bible doesn't say much about, you're going to have to think about it, and maybe come up with some other stuff, but make sure you separate them, because once you begin to confuse your thinking or what the church says or tradition with what the Bible says, you can go any which direction you want to. That's one of the, that's the reason for this show. We're trying to get you to go back to the Bible and say what it says in that. Or we have a phone call from or what you want it to say. What you want it to say, and that's where we are now. And that's Laura, where that's where premillennial premillennialism yes, will take you th- off. Their the motivations edge. for all that. Gary and I have our motivations, I suppose. I'm not clear what they are, but uh, I know that uh, millennial dispensationalists have their motivations too for saying what they do. And it's not all dishonesty or anything like that. It's just that's what they want. Well, Laura, are you there? You're on, I, we have a call on the line. Yes, Mike and Gary, I'm there. Can you hear me okay? I can. Yes, thanks for calling. I, okay, thank you. I couldn't hear you in the beginning, but did you know that Mary of Magdala was the first person Jesus presented himself to after his resurrection? Uh, you know, your phone is breaking up yeah. a little bit. Could, would you mind repeating? I'm sorry, but would you mind repeating the question? Did we know what, what about Mary Magdalene? She, she was the first one Jesus presented him to. Him to after his resurrection. Yes, and and that's found in at least in this reference in in uh, Mark 16, and she was the first one on that early on the first day of the week she saw him. Which I think is significant, Laura, in that here is this woman who is an ordinary person, and she—he's the first one that, he, as you said, presents himself to. I think that's significant, and she was a woman. I think that's all a, a very interesting and means something. What, what, what else you want to say about this? Well, she was healed of seven demons. Seven she demons. Was really grateful, as. Some other people who were healed by him in those days were, and of course you had the ones that were it. Well, you remember when he he um, healed the lepers, and, and, and I think it was ten, and only one well, only back, one came back. Or the nine, yeah. Some people weren't as grateful to, as others, but Mary Magdalene obviously was, and and this is a little bit, I don't know. The, I don't know what word, Laura, I would put on it. Maybe irritating is, is some of this might be the word that they want to take Mary Magdalene and make her some kind of a of a prostitute. And they want to take and make her having some kind of an illicit affair with Jesus. When the Bible says nothing of the sort, it, it presents her as a good woman who was devoted to Jesus. The faith he's going to try. Say that again. I think we were talking over each other. Anything the enemy does to, he's going to try to smear the face. I think you're correct about that. And what? Yes, and that's why I keep urging you, go back, and not you, but I mean general people, go back and read the text of the Bible itself, and not what some popular fictional author, or even what 
supposedly some preacher or clergyman says about things, but try to read the text itself, at least bait, start there, because you're going to get the wrong idea oftentimes. One of my sayings, Laura, is you can get a clergyman to say almost anything. You put a microphone to press does in front of a clergyman or a preacher, ain't no telling what's going to come out of these people's mouths. You can get anybody to say anything. And, when you, <laughs> and you really can't because they, you know, they want that they're talking. So, and then they want to take that statement by some off-the-wall person and make it what, what Christians actually believe about things. And so um, this is a case in point. Go ahead. And, and wanting the um, praise of men rather than the praise of God. That's exactly right. They want the praise of men. And so when they get the press, gets a microphone in front of them, they'll say almost anything. And trust me, I know from personal experience that when they go back to the newsroom and write the story, it isn't what you said anyway. I've said lots of things to different people in the press over the years. Not lots of things, but many things. And, and um, do they really get what I'm trying to say correct? No, they don't. They make it what they want the story to be. And, and unfortunately, that's true of almost all of us. So if Christians are waiting for the praise of our society, the praise of men, to, they're, they're really wasting their time. They're, they're really never going to get it. The world hates true Christians just like it did in Jesus' day. Never will like us because we don't believe this and think the same way. And so it's a constant battle of the distortions of what the Bible does or does not say. And it's coming from oftentimes a malicious place. So I'm really glad Jerry asked this question because it brings up a lot of other interesting points to to um, talk about. Do you, you want to add anything else to this, Laura? Well, I mean, you could just look at the list. And it's all a matter of perspective. If you're wounded in this world, your perspective is going to be wounded. If you've allowed God by the Holy Spirit to heal those wounds, you're going to be grateful. Right? I have seen the miracles of God in my life. I am a walking miracle, as many others are, and I think those are the things that this world needs to see, because what he's done for me, he will do for anybody who comes to him as well. He is well, no effective person. The discouraging part about what you're saying, and I don't, I don't disagree that, that the world needs to look at what God does and see that is that uh, e even in Jesus' day, when he did miracles right in front of people, they refused to change their mind because they wanted to justify what they already believed more so than to change their mind. Most people are wanting to justify their life as it now is, and therefore they don't listen to what's being said by the scriptures. I understand I've gone through many of my own battles with people who didn't hear it, but then somewhere down the line, somebody else maybe reiterated or expounded on what they heard, and some for the deathbed confessions or whatever, have accepted Jesus. Well, at times, what, what it is there is I think sometimes there's a place in our life when we're just not ready to hear the words of God. We're not ready to, for that, and it takes another situation later where someone's heart is opened up for some other reason to hear. And so we always have to be ready to give an answer, Peter says, for the hope that lies within us, because we don't ever know when we're going to have that chance to influence someone to hear the words of God. 
But I, I know this from dealing with people over the years, Laura, <laughs> that when people come to me sometimes for advice, sometimes, a lot of the time, they've already made up their mind what they're going to do about something. And they're really looking for me to confirm either that what they've done or what they are doing is okay. And so they don't really listen to what I tell them from the scriptures because they've already made up their mind. They want me to confirm what they already believe. You're never going to get ahead that way. Well, they, they, they want to worship God in the way they want to worship God, not in the way God has prescribed. In, in John chapter 4, in beginning in verse 23, Jesus says, But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Now, God's word is truth. We don't worship God God in our own ideas. We worship God in truth. Where do we find that? In the word of God. And where do this we find a that? challenge for all of us. Yeah, he says, what is truth? Thy word. Basically, he says, your word is truth. So what we have to go by is the word, the true word, which Jesus identified, and that's what God tells us to worship by. Laura, I think you were trying to say something. Bible that. He built an intimate, personal relationship with many, many different people with no judgment and total love, which is who God is. Right. Now, you say no judgment. He didn't just come to condemn them. It wasn't that Jesus approved of what they did. He told the one woman, go and sin no more. Now, that's kind of a judgment in the way some people look at it. But he didn't automatically throw her away because someone else had accused her of sin or even if she'd been guilty. He was trying to actually love and help her rather than just throw her away. And that's what the prejudgment is. We prejudge because somebody is from this class or this group or whatever or has this, this view background that we prejudge them. Christians should not be doing that. On the other hand, we have to tell people the truth about their situation as best we can with the idea of changing a person's mind. I think that's what's forgotten. In, in talking to people, the object is to change their mind, not just to tell them off. And Jesus even says that in John 12. He, he says in John 12 and verse 47, And if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Now listen to the next verse. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. I knew you'd get to that verse. <laughs> I, I had to get to that verse. I'm sorry. <laughs> but, just... but no, that, that's exactly right. The word will judge him. But our object as Christians is to present the word in a way that can persuade and show people love. Go ahead, Laura. We're stepping on you there. We need to love people. We need to show the love of God, no matter what, because that's what Jesus did. Now, my, my definition of, of love that I preach here all the time, and people get tired of hearing it, uh, Laura, and I think you're correct about what you just said, but the, def the Bible definition of love is not feeling nice about people all the time and feeling, feeling uh, sorry to say, spongy. I don't know why, why that came to mind. It's, it's actively doing what is in the best interest of the other person. Love is an active thing. It's not just an emotion. And it's doing what is, the, what is the for the benefit of the other person, not yourself. 
So whenever I talk to someone who is a Christian or not a Christian, I'm I'm trying to discuss talk with them in a way and deal with them in a way that is beneficial to them. Sometimes that might mean a rebuke. It might mean, you know, this is on the wrong course. You're, you're in danger. You need to change. That's love. I don't have to be nasty, mean, insulting, uh, denigrating when I say that. But I sometimes have to make a correction. The word of God makes correction. That's not unloving. On the other hand, sometimes I have to, as Paul says in Colossians 4, let my speech be seasoned with grace. I have to, that it may give grace to him that hears. So I'm supposed to use words and phrase it in such a way that it persuades someone to do the right thing or gets them on the right track or encourages them. Now, that's love in Bible definition of the word. And we need to have that all the time, every day, wherever we are in life. We need to be showing love to people around us in that way. And that's why Jesus treated the people that he met the way that he did. He was working for their benefit, not just trying to prove them wrong, not just trying to show them up uh, and all that kind of stuff. He was trying to not judge them, but to but to help them. Uh, anyway, uh, well, it's the same for the sermon. There, so that love your neighbor is is basically exemplified. You want to know what love your neighbor looks like? It looks like uh, Luke 10 and beginning in verse 30 with the uh, Good Samaritan. Yeah, that's, that's the definition. That, he went out and did something for that man. That, that's what he did. And, and what did Jesus say after he finished the story that the young man wanted to know, what, what, what does it mean to love my neighbor? And the young man said, so he asked him, so which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And his reply was, he who showed mercy on him. Those two words are related. And Jesus said, yes, go to go and do likewise. So if you want to know what love looks like and what mercy looks like, read Luke 10, basically 30 through about 38, 37, 38. That's what it, and that's what we're saying is when we worship God, we have to worship him in spirit and in truth. God tells us in truth what he wants. And that's that's why we're here. Laura, what's uh, what, what else you got on your mind? I just want us to start to come together in the unity of the faith. I'm tired of division between so-called denominations who basically believe the same core thing with different worship styles because nobody's perfect. Well, Laura, the reason that there's division in Christianity is very simple. It's because people refuse to do a simple reading of the text of the Bible and agree that that's right. Everybody has got their own doctrine, follows certain teachers, certain men, have developed their own traditions around certain ideas rather than following the text of the Bible. Now, that may seem oversimplistic, but that's the way it is. Now, then, the Bible also says in 1 Corinthians 11, 14, I think it is, or verse 14 or 17, I'm not looking at it right now, that there must needs be heresies among you that those that are approved may be made manifest. The word heresy there means split or division. And what that means is sometimes, and this is after him accusing them of being divisive, so there's sometimes when division is bad because people are not uniting around the word of God, but they're uniting around their own ideas. And in, in 1 Corinthians 1, he said, some of you call yourselves after Cephas, some after Paul, 
and so forth. He, they, they start calling themselves Lutherans or Catholics or whatever. They divide themselves up. He condemned that. All of us should be only Christians. But the other kind of division is when then there is false teaching and those people want to do what's wrong. Now then we have to stand up and oppose that, what's wrong, and that will create a division. But this idea that's going on, Laura, that, that the idea that we're all split up into all these 2,500 different denominations, and that's just hunky-dory, is that politically incorrect to say that? That's just fine with God that we're all split up and call ourselves Christians. We reject that idea here on We Are Just Christians trying to get past that. It's not. A, it's always going to be difficult because humans have a hard time agreeing on anything. But we, we don't have to accept the premise that all this division is normal and a good thing because most of it's based on the traditions of men, not on what the text of the Bible says. Uh, uh, I don't know if that's what you're getting at or not, but that's what we believe here. Yeah, thank you for... Well, I appreciate that. We're gl I'm glad that you listened, Laura. It's very, very encouraging. And I appreciate you having taken the time to call in today. Call back any time, okay? Yes, sir. God bless you. God bless you, too. We, we love hearing from folks who listen to the show. Thank you so much. Yes, it is a, it is a, uh, we're always going to have disagreements among people. Uh, and that's true politically, but uh, we, we need to at least be willing to go back and say, well, what's the text of the Constitution say? Before well, we discuss? But the people are beyond that now. And we don't even want to, in Christianity, go back and say, so what does the text of the Bible say? Well, so that, that goes back to Jerry's question, too, in the beginning. Go ahead, Gary. I'm sorry. Well, basically, Mike, I think there's another reason that we get into here. And, and it's one of the main reasons that I was hoping we, we would, the show would would work toward that is people let, let me start with I, I became a Christian almost 40 years ago now okay and what I believe that God wanted me to do 40 years ago is not the same uh -huh. as what I believe today so what's changed what's changed is I begin to look at God's word and go through God's word and I found things I didn't like, but I had to incorporate those things that I didn't like into the things that I do. I had to be willing to do that. If I'm not willing to do that, what I do is I sort out passages and say, okay, I'm going to shove those to one side, and I'm not going to pay any attention to those. And people do that for two reasons. They do it because they don't like it, and they do it because they don't know what it is. They haven't even read that or haven't even noted it. And and that's what we're here for. That's what at least that's what I'm here well, for. Well, that's kind of what you are. You'll hear me sometimes say, even though I've read through the Bible many times and stuff. You'll hear me say, well, as far as I know, it doesn't say this, or I don't know of any case of this or that, because I'm trying to not just for show, but I'm trying to leave open the possibility that there are some things that I just don't. I read right through them, never even considered them before in what's there or i don't know for example i read somewhere this week um, we're going to go out way out past left field out into the street <laughs> here but uh i was reading something and mentioned this lilith women in the bible or something lilith 
of course, I think of Fraser's wife uh, on his show, which he, she was something. But anyway, Lilith is this female goddess, apparently. The, and some people consider her, her God's wife, the pagans did. And this, this, she was in the Bible. And <laughs> I thought, well, I don't remember ever seeing the word Lilith in the Bible. But now you can go into, um, now I can't remember the, the reference. But uh, I think it's in, uh, in Isaiah, in one of the prophecies, talks about like these ostriches on the wild high places or something. And it's called a, a, a Lilith, you know. It's the night demon who haunts uh, desolate places and so forth. It's in, um, where is it found? The screech owl. Some people call it a screech owl. And um, I can't think of the reference now. But uh, it's a nocturnal animal that haunts desolate places or a female goddess known as the night demon who haunts the desolate places of Edom and so forth. And I can't find the reference here. But anyway, for me to say, well, Lilith isn't in the Bible, is that true? Well, yes, it was never translated in, into this word Lilith in most translations. It's just called a, a, a spirit or a night demon or a wolf or a jackal that's haunting these places. But the problem is it's not in the Bible in the sense that it's presented as a female goddess who is the, who is the consort of God, God's wife is how modern feminists, and that's the problem, modern feminists want to put Lilith in the Bible as some kind of a female goddess. So that's not in the Bible. So it, it, you keep learning, right? You hear things that I just, I guess I've heard this before, but I wasn't sure. I, I think it's Isaiah 34, 14, just off the top of my head. Let me let me see if that's right. Well, I don't, I don't know how to how it's spelled in the New King James Version, and I don't have a spell checker on my my search engine, so I, I would probably put it in and not find it. Okay, so here's the verse. Uh, and this is in a long uh, talking about the desolation that God's going to bring on the nations of the earth because they disobey him. Isaiah 34. It says, uh, nettles and thorns will come up in the palaces, nettles and brambles in the fortresses. It shall be a habitation of jackals and a courtyard for ostriches. The wild beasts of the desert will also meet with the jackals. The wild goat shall bleat to its companion. Also, the night creature shall rest there and find for herself a place of rest. That word night creature, in that's in the New King James, is in Hebrew, Lilith. Okay. So they've taken that reference of completely unknown origin of just a night creature. You're out in, you're out in the in the wilderness and you hear these strange sounds or howling of different animals. And this is the feeling that you get. Oh, no, what is that? That's a night creature. We don't know what it is. And he's just saying it's going to be a place of of desolation and loneliness and fear. We've made it now. And it came to be known as because of pagan influences. This female God, because he. Oh, way off a bit. The, the real objection many Wiccans and witches and pagans of various sorts have with the Bible, Gary, is that it's so patriarchal. There's only a male God, and so God needs a companion, a female companion. And so you have to create this goddess, Lilith, 
And you can you look up if you look up uh, bail.com, B-A-A-L.com, you'll see all of this. You can look up Lilith and begin to read what people say about it. Now, OK, all that's interesting, uh, I guess, if you want to learn about pagan thinking, the kind of thinking the Bible is against the things the Bible teaches against from the earliest times. You can learn about that. But don't go and tell me that this female goddess is in the Bible because if she's not in the Bible. It's just called a night creature. OK. And, and it doesn't say anything about her being a goddess there. Anyway, go ahead. It, it, it goes back to one of the things that I think, Mike, that I try to do here. I don't know how successful I am, but when I teach classes, I try to like to give people some guidance into how to study the Bible. The Bible needs study in in a way different than we just read your common everyday old entertainment novel, if you will. The The Bible takes a little more work to understand what's in it. Yes, and eventually, yeah, you're going to you're going to have to start piecing things together over time and come to some kind of uh, understanding of what they are. But you have to it's like reading the Catholic translation of the Bible. If you pick up a Catholic, people ask me, well, I have a Catholic Bible. Is that OK? And I'll tell them, uh, yes, it's OK, because. The Douay, most of them are a Douay Reims version, a translation, like a King James only. It's called Douay Reims. And it's, a, it's an adequate translation. But I warned them read the text from the top of the page down, the ones I've got, because the top of the page is the text of the scripture. The bottom half or more is filled with commentary Theory. from Catholic bishops and cardinals and so forth and so on, which explains away. The text sometimes, I've showed them examples of here's what the text says, like it names Jesus' brothers and sisters, uh, names his brothers, and says he has sisters. And then the, the text, the commentary below says, well, these must be Jesus' nephews because G Mary was a virgin. So I tell them, read the text of the Bible and decide for yourself. And look, you look, feel, look, look that Greek word up, feel it's brother. Free, yes, feel free to ignore the, the commentary by the people below that and come to your own conclusion Well, that's, about that's it. not the only Bible. The Ryrie Study Bible is pretty bad about that, too. Well, yes, the Schofield Bible is the <laughs> same way. But, you know, you've got to read the text and un begin to under Now, commentaries can be fun, but you've got to understand the whole picture. All right, we've got a, two or three minutes left, Gary. I want you to summarize, and I appreciate the calls from Jerry and Laura very much. Thank you so much. And the text... Go back to what you were talking about if you want to. Well, I just wanted, I wanted to go back to the fact that, that I do not believe that the Bible teaches that God is, is thwarted in his purposes when he sets out to do something. That Jesus, when he provided for a spiritual kingdom, was what he was sent to do. God was not put aside by the Jews. As a matter of fact, I don't believe God is that weak, right. to be honest with you. Uh, even if every Jew on the planet had rejected Jesus, God would have provided the circumstances where the Romans themselves would have put him on the throne in Jerusalem. Well, the fact is, if the, that's what he wanted, the, only, the, the Jews that rejected Jesus were the Jewish leaders. Exactly. Not all of the people, because the first church of 50,000 men at one point in time in Jerusalem was composed of Jewish men, men. people. So the Jewish people did not reject Jesus and even some of the leaders. My point is God is not thwarted by man in his purpose. Right. 
and that's a that's a basic tenet of dispensational premillennialism yes. that is against Bible interpretation. And now I, we can look at a lot I, of other and things. I don't mean this in a in a insulting or slanderous way, but I think the basic motivation for this whole thing is this desire for Jesus to be an earthly king. This is why he was rejected in the first place. The irony of it is he was rejected by the Jews in the first place because he would not set up an earthly kingdom and compete with Caesar. He said, my kingdom is not of this world, and they rejected him for that. And then, and, and yet now that's what the millennials say he's going to come back and establish. we got about a minute left. We're going to have to pick this subject up uh, next week, Gary. Uh, and a little bit more, because it's one that deserves a lot of attention. Well, I'm, I'm going to bring up the passage. Jesus, at one point in his, uh, in his teaching, basically, he rejected the earthly kingdom because he left them and went and hid himself because they were trying to make him king. Right, exactly. Uh, and and I'll, I'll bring that scripture up. I don't, okay. have it, don't have it right in front of me right now. We'd like to invite you to our services at 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard here in Port St. Lucie, and we'd like to invite you to our website, which is wearejustchristians.com. Thanks for tuning in this week. We appreciate it very much and hope that you'll make plans to tune in next week for We Are Just Christians. Thank you very much. You've been listening to We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church on WPSL Port St. Lucie.